Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. What a great day. First of all, welcome Free Life Community Church. Welcome to those of you listening online and on our uh, radio station as well as our campus at Mecca. Good to see you all. I uh, hope you're doing well from the uh, uh, Christmas holiday and the New Year holiday. And may God be praised in the new year, yeah? I want to talk to you this morning, again, still in the book of Revelation and the seven churches, the church God desires. Can't get any better look at what kind of church God desires than looking at the seven churches of Revelation, friends. And it's a precursor to us going back into an exhaustive study of Revelation, possibly sometime this year. <laughs> oh, great. So, having said that, I uh, want to talk with you today on the church of the Thyatira, and the interesting thing about it is that when God speaks here, this is what he says. I want to talk to you about three things, sanctification, toleration, and compromise. And friends, I'm going to tell you, those three things together are a deadly, deadly potentially disastrous combination. Well, how is that? A number of years ago, I was a much younger, I think a little dumber, pastor. I was brand new, um, hadn't pastored a church before, had been an assistant pastor, uh, and thought I was pretty decent at that, and gauged myself as an assistant pastor, thinking I could probably be a great senior or solo pastor based on the successes that I thought I had as an assistant pastor. And I quickly found that being a senior solo pastor is very different than it is being an assistant. One, because it's all on you now. All the good and mostly the bad. So, like it or not, you've got it. And uh, there was, in my first church, and I doubt any of them are listening, and if they are, that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> 30 years ago. Anyway, um, there was a, a lady in our church that struggled with me uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, before I was uh, the pastor, I was a Sunday school superintendent. I had been uh, uh, the uh, lay, lay leader. I had been uh, the vice chairman of the board. Uh, I held a lot of positions in the church. Um, and our idealisms were very different. Uh, some of the things that she disliked about me were probably right and I had to make some changes. But a lot of them were just preference. And so uh, when I became pastor, you can imagine at the same church, right? We are pastor, long story. Either way, I kind of became the interim pastor, and then I became the pastor. And it, it, uh, it, it wasn't what, her choice. She didn't want that. And so I, I said, let's have lunch and let's talk. And so we did. And I said, I said what, what's your problem? She said, I don't know, I just don't like you. She'd be honest. And I said, what have I done? She goes, I know, I just don't like you. 
And the more we talked about it, I realized it's because I wouldn't let her do what she wanted to do, how she wanted to do it, when she wanted to do it. She had her own ideas and ways that she wanted things done. I was changing things. Actually, the changes in the church from what she remembered had been changing progressively even before me, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, they needed to be. Uh, long story short, uh, this is what I heard from her. I need you to tolerate me in all my ways, and I need you to change who you are and compromise so that I get my way. That's what I heard. And then she questioned why she should tolerate or compromise, but I shouldn't. And for the first time in my career, I said, because I'm the pastor. That's why. And God didn't call you to the pastor. He called me there. Right or wrong, I'm the one he's called. Now, I'm sure that the day is going to come that I'm going to look back and see that I probably handled this wrongly or could have handled it better or maybe a variety of things I could have done better. And I, it, it didn't even take that long. It took just a few months. And I realized that I wasn't wrong in what I did. How I did it could have been better. And I realized at that moment that for some reason, preference is important to us. It's important to us, preferences. Our own personal preferences. But see, Christ didn't talk about those things here. And I want you to understand today that there's a difference between Tolerance and compromise on things that you should tolerate or compromise on versus the things that you cannot. And preference is one thing that you can. Absolutes are not. And we've got to know the difference. Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. God wants us to be pure in all things. Pure how? Before him pure in heart and pure in mind before him. Yeah? Isn't that really true? God wants us to be pure in heart and in mind before him. It doesn't matter what other people think about it. It doesn't matter what we think about it. It matters what he thinks about it. Revelation chapter 2, scroll down to verse 18. Listen to what the Lord says. To the angel of the church and Thyatira, these are the words of the Son of God. Friends, that ought to get your attention right off the bat. These are the words of the Son of God. And who is that? Jesus Christ. If the Son of God is speaking to us, should we listen? Well, some of you are certain. How about the rest of you? Okay. Listen to the description whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your deeds. Well, of course he does. We're fooling ourselves if we think he doesn't. He says, I know your love, I know your faith, I know your service, and I know your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So far, so good, yeah? So far, sounds pretty good. The Son of God is speaking to the church, and if, if he's talking to this one, so far, we like what we hear. Amen? Nevertheless, he says. Oh, there's that but, or the nevertheless again. I have this against you. Now, we talked about this last week. I really don't ever want to hear from Christ. He's got something against me. Anybody in here want to go up against Christ? Well, he's got something against you. 
Probably that's a bad idea. And so he says, I have this against you. First of all, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, some people would say, well, wait a minute. Jezebel in the Bible was long dead by now. Yeah. But you have to understand that in Revelation, Jezebel is basically, how do I want to put it? A gender-specific, a gender-specific evility. And throughout the scripture, when there is an evil that is Satan wrought, and it's used as a Jezebel, it means it's come from a female perspective. In other words, there were false female teachers, or there was a false fem a female in the church that was exerting control, and it was wrong. You understand? Not that all women are bad. That's not what he's saying. Don't hear that. He's saying that you're tolerating this woman Jezebel. Now, was it the Jezebel of the Old Testament? No, but there's somebody in the church, okay, from a female perspective who is using likely some sort of an emotional stance to push an agenda. Now, does that happen in the modern church? Well, of course it does. And let's face it, you and I both know in the house, if mama isn't happy, yeah, ladies, I am not saying, and God is not saying, that you should not have an opinion. We are not saying you can't be a leader in the church. We are certainly not saying that you shouldn't be listened to. But what he is saying is that where the man should have stepped up here and said, no, you're coming from a perspective that is emotionally wrought. And it's got to stop. Because it was harming the church as it stood. And I've seen it happen in the modern church today. Now, does that mean that only women come from an emotional perspective? No, it does not. In fact, I know many men that are just too emotional sometimes, yeah? Listen, emotion is a wonderful thing. God gave it to us. But again, as I've said I, over and over and over again, you cannot make the gauge of right or wrong, spiritually or otherwise, based on your feelings and emotions. Because they change from one day to the next. And more than that, they're not accurate. Okay? Now, does that mean that we should never use our feelings? Of course not. In fact, if you listen to people carefully today, you'll hear that more than anything else. You're having a conversation. Well, I feel that, or I feel, well, not that that's a bad thing, but it could be. Okay? And so this is what God is saying. I know your deeds, your love, and your service, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Listen to this. Who calls herself a prophetess. In other words, she's saying she's a pastor, and God is speaking to her. When, in fact, her feelings are speaking, and she's saying it's God. Now, we've all done that a time or two. I feel that God told me this, or I, I, I'm feeling like I should do this. Listen, I've told you time and again, God will tell you to go buy the new car if you want it bad enough. Right? Or anything else you want to do. Okay? So, the problem here isn't that she was doing it, it's that they were tolerating it. They knew better and allowed it. He says, this is what I have against you. You are tolerating what she's doing. You know it's wrong, and you've been taught it's wrong. You have the power to stop it, but you will not do so. Because you're afraid, or who knows what. You're not doing it. You're letting it go on. And you know what? None of us like confrontation. Well, some people do, I guess. 
But by and large, I don't like confrontation. And yet, in my position, I have no choice but to use it at times. I have to confront, like it or not. Now, in the Wesleyan Church, do we believe that women are called to ministry? Yes. Do we ordain women? Absolutely. Should we? I think so. And there are some churches that say no. They can think whatever they want. And scripturally, I can find nothing that says no. Is it true that women have a harder road? Yes. Absolutely, for a variety of reasons. Are there some people, male and female, that won't sit under a female pastor? Yeah. Is that preference? Yes. Yes. I can tell you, I, I, I could never get enough of Joyce Meyer. I could listen to that woman forever. Fantastic. I can take Beth Moore in small bites, but I like some of the things she says. She just tries to, she reaches too much for me sometimes. Tony Evans' daughter. Huh. Unbelievable. Right? Listen. Yeah. But see, here's the commonality. They're coming from a biblical and godly perspective. Clearly here, that did not happen. Agreed? And it could happen in the other gender too, can't it? And does. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about this one. He says, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and by eating food sacrificed to idols. Not, Paul says eating uh, food sacrificed to idols isn't necessarily bad, but it could be if it leads people astray. Agreed? Basically, misleading servants into sexual immorality? Well, my goodness, there's an awful lot of people doing it now. I've been confronted with it myself. I had a Christian lady tell me and I'm not going to tell you where, when I walked into the office, told me to explain why love, regardless who it's toward, isn't okay. I said, well, let's define that. Are you talking about sexual love? Yes, I am. Well, but if you love the person, it doesn't matter. I said, no, that's not what the Bible says. Right? So I'm not going to get into that homosexuality thing today. But these are the types of things that people who refuse to look at the Word of God, the black and white of it, and from their own perspective, their own feelings, right, want to think that if it's love and they're married, it's okay. Well, first of all, God doesn't put together two people of the same sex. Does He? Cannot, does not, will not. Yeah, I know some pastors do it. And I think they're going to have to account for that one day. But nevertheless, this is what we're talking about here. I understand that there's a sinfulness in that and that there's a struggle for some people. I get it. But this is what she was teaching. That as long as you're with the person, the gender doesn't matter. If, if, if you consider them to be your life partner, it's okay. And that's exactly what we're teaching today. Yes? Okay. So this is what was happening. He says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. In other words, God's been trying to work with her by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she's not listening. <laughs> kind of like it's going on today, too, yeah? Lots of Christians out there, okay, are buying into this garbage. They are, okay? So I will cast her 
on a bed of suffering, I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer immensely. In other words, you're committing adultery with her in her sinfulness if you don't stand against it and if you agree with it. You understand what he's saying? I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. In other words, he's the only one that knows what's right and wrong. He also is the only one that knows what you think and feel. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. In other words, stand for me, you'll get paid for that. Stand against me, you'll get paid for that too. Okay? Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, because this is what today we're being told is no different than it was back then. Well, we're more accomplished today. We, we understand the depths of things more than we did back then. No, we don't. Because the Word of God has always been the Word of God. Period. And somehow, this is the word they use, we're a more enlightened society now. No, we're a more blinded society. That's the problem. Okay? He says, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. In other words, he is absolute. What he says goes. Yeah, he's the law. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. That means heaven and salvation in heaven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, this sermon, this message, teaches us how to keep our hearts pure toward Christ, toward culture, toward consistency. The Lord desires a church that isn't influenced by culture. Did you hear me? God desires a church that is not influenced by culture. Oh, times will change. We can even change how we do things. And I think we should. But we can never compromise or get away from the principles that God has laid out for us. The church of today and tomorrow should look like the one that Christ set upon the earth, period. The absolutes of his word ought to be there. And so in this message, I think God is calling us. Is he all right? You okay, Matt? Yeah, he's all right. Okay. So it calls us to be salt and light in a world that is marked and marred by corruption and darkness. More and more and more. In fact, these words to the church at Thyatira Encourage us to maintain our purity in terms of our sanctification, in terms of our toleration, in terms of our compromise. Because impurity in our lives and in our church has a tendency, actually I should say churches, has a tendency to spread like cancer which damages and can ultimately kill the body. It has to be examined. It has to be ripped out, it has to be destroyed because our impurities have to be revealed and then they have to be removed. Because what's in our hearts will determine what becomes our habit. 
What's in our heart will determine what becomes our habit. Yeah? What we think will drive how we live, won't it? And I think it's imperative that we have the proper doctrine so that we can live with the proper devotion. And it's imperative that we think biblically so that we can live biblically. If you don't think biblically, you won't live biblically. Amen? If you think emotionally, you're going to live emotionally. If you think by society, then you will live by society. It's common sense, which I dare say we don't have a lot of these days. And so as I begin to think about it, I realize we have to maintain purity in terms of our sanctification as well as it is in terms of our toleration and in terms of our compromise. And so let's take a look at all three of them and separate them. First of all, in our sanctification, understand, and there's no... This isn't open to interpretation. God sees and knows everything. Everybody with me here? God sees and knows everything. If you're in here today and you think God doesn't see and know everything, I think we've got to get back to Christianity 101 here. Okay? And not only that, because he sees and knows everything, God alone has the authority and the ability to determine proper and right behavior. It's his call. In fact, he says to the Lord, or to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write these things. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, this reference to the eyes of Christ reminds us that he sees everything we do, and he knows everything we think. Which is why he even said, it doesn't matter if you follow through with your sinfulness. If you think it, it's still sin. And we don't want to believe that. And this is what I've been told again and again and again by people say, I, yeah, I, I, I'm struggling with it, but I haven't followed through with it. It doesn't matter. You're thinking sinfully, and God judges it as sin, particularly if you say you're a Christian. If you say you're saved and call yourself a Christian, then God judges you accordingly as a Christian. And you're saying that as a Christian that the Holy Spirit was living in you. Now, when you get saved, does the Holy Spirit come and take up residence within you? Of course it does. And as a Christian, if you're saying you can't help what you're thinking, then you haven't given God control of your thought process. There's a resistance going on between the spirit that lives within you and the spirit that you want to exert. That's what's happening. And when you start thinking it, it's only a matter of time before you start doing it. Either way, God says it's still sinful. Listen, these aren't my words, these are his. He's, he's saying it. And I'm sure there's some people somewhere saying, I don't believe that. Well, then your argument's with God, not me. So, what are we talking about here? I would think that knowing that he sees and knows everything would make us want to live sanctified lives. That we would want to follow God's standards, that we would want to know what they are so that we don't screw it up, you know? I get it that sometimes we legitimately don't know we've messed up, yeah? It happens. And I believe in second chances. I even believe in third chances sometimes. 
But when you refuse to know the standards, that's disobedience. Now we've got another problem. And that's what God is trying to say. He expects us to not only reach his standards, but to maintain them. Reach his standards and maintain them. Reach his standards and maintain them. Not our standards, not our bar, not society's bar, not the church down the street, not the church around the world, not the church next door, not what your Christian friends think, what God thinks. And every church that says it's a Christian church ought to be invoking God's bar, God's standards. Sadly, we aren't. And therein lies the problem. You see, when we get saved, friends, this is called initial sanctification. Right, pastors? Initial sanctification. This is where God begins the process of sanctifying us in Him. We're not, we're not arrived at that point. Very few people get saved and entirely sanctified in the same movement. It can happen. I just, I'm skeptical when people tell me. Now, and if, and, if they, and if they do it, my suspicion is that they're a much, much older person with a lot of experience. I, I, I believe you can cold turkey a lot of things right now. But for younger people to get saved, probably not. And certainly Satan knows where to push your buttons, doesn't he? But, but that's called initial sanctification. And God begins this process. And in John 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer is praying to the Father. And he asked the Father to... Uh, sanctify us. In fact, he says, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, Jesus says, okay, that they may too also be truly sanctified. Clearly, Jesus is talking about the process of being sanctified the same way that he is. He, he's not asking you to do something he didn't do. He's asking you to do the same human sanctification process that he went through. It's funny, too, because some people say, well, I know Jesus did, but I'm not him. Well, I, I get that. I get that. But as a human, he's expecting you to do what he did as a human. Boy, that, that opens some eyes sometimes, doesn't it? Because automatically we think we can't do it. It's almost like we have a crutch that we can't get there because he was the son of God, you know. But in his humanness, he still did every single thing that God required him to do. And he didn't use his godly power to do it. He choiced himself properly. He made decisions properly. He acted accordingly. And don't tell me there weren't times that he didn't struggle with it. But he still kept his eyes where? Heavenward. That's the point. In fact, he even asked God to take the cup away from him. It didn't happen. But he asked. He still maintained his sanctification. You see, Jesus used the truth to remain sanctified in the Father. That's how he did it when the devil began to berate him in the wilderness. And remember, the Holy Spirit's the one who took him out there. Yeah? Now, the Bible only records three ways that the devil tempted him. But Jesus overcame all three. I suspect it might have been more than that. But those three things cover pretty much everything we're going to be tempted with in some way or another. 
Self-pride being a big one. Yeah? Sanctify them, he says. It means to be set apart, to be holy. Clearly, as salvation, we have yet to become holy. We're working on it, but we haven't gotten there yet. Agreed? We're trying to be. And it's the process that allows God to change us from the inside out. And I know that God has been changing me from the inside out. Anybody know that? Everybody aware of that process that God is making changes in you? Good night. God's still making changes in me. And I believe myself to be entirely sanctified. It took a while, but I got there. And if the, for those of you who, who haven't gotten there, that's okay. You just keep walking the way of salvation, the way of sanctification, and you will get there. And when you do, you'll know it. You, you'll know it. And even then, you'll know that God's still working on you, even beyond that. Yeah? He is. It's happening. So in this process that God is working on us, we call this progressive sanctification. I haven't gotten entirely sanctified yet, but I'm working on it, and that's my progression. And God expects your progression to get closer and closer and closer to entire sanctification, not take a few steps back. It happens. And I've shown you my chart before, right, on the line of life. Some of you haven't done that. I should show you one time. But the fact of the matter is, it seems like in life it's two or three steps forward toward entire sanctification or being the person God wants me to be, and I, I seem to take a few back too sometimes. Anybody? It's called life. And sometimes you feel like you just can't get a step forward toward it. But in order to be completely set apart and consecrated toward God, the process has to be completed. And this is where I think we struggle. We start the process, but we never complete it. A lot of people never complete the process. And I hate that on a, on a computer when I start a, a, a process and it just loops. Anybody been there before? It just loops and loops and loops and loops. And I can tell you something. If you ever put a cake in the oven, ladies or guys that bake, and you, you, it's been in twice as long as it should be, or a higher temperature than it should be, and you still tap it and it's still... Something's not right. And if you keep baking it, it will eventually dry out, but it's only going to be about this high. And now you got brownies. They can be very moist, but you're going to have them. Started out as a cake, though. Well, these are great brownies. Yeah, but it was a cake. Something's not right there. And sometimes we don't put certain ingredients in. Yeah? And you know right away when it's not right. I've made, uh, I like to make cinnamon rolls, and once in a while, I'll know that something's not right, you know. And then Beth will say, what's the matter? <laughs> They're not right. <laughs> Missed something. It wasn't the yeast, but it did something wrong. If you don't put the right amount of salt in it, it won't, it won't rise right. If you don't, um, okay, so, and Grandma taught me right. I've been doing this for a long time. I know how to make cinnamon rolls. And I know when they're not right. Anybody? Okay. And, and the same is true. You know when your Christian life is right and when it's not. You don't want to admit it, you know. And just like the cake in the oven, you keep baking it, and you keep baking it, you keep baking it. It's like those cinnamon rolls. They're not rising, but you keep letting them rise. You're better off to throw it out and say, okay, let's start over here. Stop trying to push a bad position in your Christian life. God's not going to buy it anyway. You see, this, this, this change has to take place. We've got to complete it. And when we get to this thing, entire sanctification, it's a beautiful Result, you see. It's a life that looks like Jesus. And that's the key. 
It means we're no longer sinful, really. It doesn't mean we won't sin, because sometimes we screw up. But it isn't very often. And it shouldn't be. And most of the time when we do, we didn't realize we were doing it. Because if you realize you're doing it, that's not a fall, that's disobedience. Big difference, you see. And I think for most Christians, this process is, 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 is a problem because we pick and choose the things we're going to allow God to change. Or we'll pick and choose those things we'll allow Him to eradicate. And we'll somehow try to skip steps in the process. And it never works. And you know what we do then? Continue to push the bad position. Because we don't, we don't want God to have control over everything. We want to choose what God controls and what He doesn't. And so the process is stopped. Or we skip certain things, hoping to have this entirely sanctified result. And like those that flat cake and the, or whatever, whatever it is, it's not going to work. Friends, I know how to build computers. I know how to put Linux or Windows on them. I don't touch Macs, but I do everything else. And I'm telling you, I know in the process of both of those things when the process isn't going right. And I know that it isn't going to boot. I know it's not going to work right because something's wrong. Either we've got a hardware conflict that's not working or something in the registry is corrupted and it's not working properly. And don't you hate it when your phone, your tablet, or your computer doesn't work right. And sometimes, rather than fixing it, you tried everything, you've got to go back and wipe it start again. Now, God isn't going to take you all the way back to initial sanctification. But he does want to go back and restore you from where it started to go awry. And that happens in your Windows machine, doesn't it? Sometimes you can go back and restore to a place when it was working right. This is what he's trying to tell Peter. Listen, I don't have to give you a whole bath, man. I just got to wash your feet, dude. And you're going to have that sometimes. But if you never really got saved, yeah, we better go back to baptism here. Anybody? Okay. This is what he's talking about. And if we won't give God total control, then we haven't fully surrendered. And we can't hide it from God either because he sees and knows it all. Because God is the righteous judge. And I think we struggle with this because we want to be able to judge what's right and proper in our lives, what's right and wrong. Yet the Bible is clear that God determines what's good service and what is not good service. And that's a problem because we know what we like to do, we know what we don't like to do. And we don't want to be stretched thin or stretched beyond our knowledge or our ability or what we perceive those things to be. And so when we're asked by the pastor or someone else in the church or leader in the church to serve in a certain manner, we've never done it before, don't know anything about it, our first inclination is to say no, almost every time. And that's self-protection, you know. Self-protection. If everybody always did what they always knew to do, 
we would never have advancements in anything. Our medicine wouldn't advance, our science wouldn't advance, our technology wouldn't advance. And can somebody please tell me what the world would be like now if all of a sudden we turned off all the cell towers? Some of you out there would be completely lost. And I know that group over there would be. Huh? I know people that absolutely cannot go without their phone. They can't do it. Cannot do it. And yet, in one of the men's groups that we did, the guys were out shooting skeet, and they put their cell phones and blew them up on the sky. Now, I'm pretty sure that was good for effect, but I'll bet you the following day they went and got a new one. Can't do it. You see where we're going here? You and I both know that we'll look at all the ways we can serve and then pick and choose those ways that we're willing to serve. Those things where we feel we've got the time to serve. Because we know what kind of time we can give and what we can't. And God says, no, 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 no. It's not your time anyway. Now, if I call you to serve here, you may have to change the timing, which means you're going to have to give up some things that you ordinarily do because I, I don't need you to do those things anymore because you're doing them for you, not for me. And we're just, by golly, not going to do that. We're going to prioritize by the things we believe we have to do or we want to do first, and then we're going to give God. No, it doesn't work that way. That's how we're living it, but that's not what God says. Now, you're sitting there either doing this or you're going, I'm not sure. Listen. You need to do an evaluation. God may want you to dump your entire time of your life and redo it based on him. I'll bet you it'll look different. And every one of us ought to take an evaluation of it sometime. I'm sure it's going to change. <laughs> and see, God didn't give us that authority to determine where our time can go and what and when. And mostly we do what we're comfortable doing or what we think we have the time for. But the Lord tells the saints at Thyatira, I know your deeds, your faith, your love, your service, your perseverance, and that you do more than you did before. He clearly knows how we are serving. He knows when we're serving, and he knows when we're serving with the right attitude and when we're not serving with the right attitude. And so, you see, friends, we bring God pleasure by not only seeking to sin less, but also functioning in his service. And he alone determines what our service ought to be. Which means that God alone also determines sanctification. It isn't your call when you're sanctified. It's his. You may think you're entirely sanctified. You may think you're on the right path. But only God gets to determine that. And if he's got control of you, he will determine it. Amen? Okay? Again, I think we use our own gauge, or what I call the human gauge, to determine whether we're sanctified or not. What I mean by that is this. We'll typically use our own thought process to determine if we're sanctified or not. Based on what we think sanctification looks like for us. Or we'll even use other people as the gauge. And you can't. Oh, you can get an indication of it. But it's going to be different for everybody. Because God knows your ability. He knows what he's called you to. And he knows what he hasn't called you to. And so you need to seek him with all your heart, mind, and strength. That's what the scripture says. And you do that so that God can direct you properly. Because you can't do that otherwise. I've been on a road or two, friends, that I thought were the right road. Found out they weren't. 
Things even look familiar to me, like I was on the right road. And I realized I wasn't. And rather than stop and be sure, I just kept going. I think that's a guy thing, maybe. But either way, guys don't want to ever admit they're lost. Right, guys? Now, listen, I also know that sometimes GPS is not right. I've had GPS try to take me places I knew wasn't right. But when you do it spiritually, I assure you, you're going to end up in the wrong place. And the path that you're on is going to be bad regardless. So you have to know. Why? Because the day is going to come. The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to say to people, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. And some people say he'll never say that. to He loves everybody. Yeah, but he's going to say it. I don't believe that. Well, then you're calling God a liar because it's right here. It's clear. Serving at your own discretion with your own desire is dangerous because, honestly, it's sinful. <laughs> but I'm serving. It doesn't matter. And, I'll give you, and let me give you an example of that. As, as a deputy sheriff law enforcement officer, this is what I found to be true. This is my pet peeve, and I love using it. If you drive in the passing lane in Indiana, it's illegal. Period. I don't care if you're going to speed limit or not. If someone comes up behind you and flashes their lights at you that they want to pass, you by law have to get over. Not when you pass all the traffic in a line, but as soon as there's a space for you to do it. I'm telling you now, and you can argue with me, but I'm telling you I know the law. You must pass expediently. And don't you just love it when semis get together and it takes them miles for one to pass. That's illegal in Indiana. It's, in, it's illegal in a lot of states. If you can't pass expediently, then you can't pass. Passing also doesn't mean there's a car coming, but I think I can make it. Hit my uh, turn signal and, and jump out. No, no. That's called reckless driving, an unsafe lane change, and I will cite you for it. You can only signal and move out when there's no traffic coming, period. But is that how we drive today? It is not. We pass and jump out when we think there's enough space for us to do it. Mm -mm. But anyway, I made traffic stops on I-70 and other places, and this is what was said to me. But I was going the speed limit. It doesn't matter. In the passing lane in Indiana, it was signed into law by the governor because people do this. I'm trying to get around. It's unsafe. It isn't to give speeders a chance to go faster. That's not what it's for. It's to keep and shut down accidents because people are doing this. You have to get over as soon as you can so that they can pass. And the person that's flashing at you to try to pass isn't the one that's wrong here. You are. Now, you tailgate somebody, that's bad. And if you brake check somebody because they're trying to pass you in Indiana, reckless driving, jail. I'm telling you right now, that is reckless driving, it's jail. Don't ever do it if you can get caught at it, especially if it's in a Mark Cruiser. <laughs> but here's, my, here's the whole, and, and I, I know there are people out here going, no, I don't believe that. Um, I mean, you should. But here's the deal. And I tell people, well, they're going to speed. Well, you let me worry about that. Just because you're going the speed limit doesn't mean you can drive there. But see, in our minds, if it seems right to us, then it is. And that's what this is all about here, spiritually. And I'm going to tell you something. The devil's going to see to it 
then a lot of things in your Christian life seem right and you should follow it. Don't. Know for sure. This is what happened to this church. What Jezebel was saying seemed right, and it wasn't. And they followed it. They tolerated it. And they held it against them. Secondly, we have to maintain our purity in terms of our toleration. Now, tolerance, friends, is a, <laughs> wow. You see, modern Christians seem to believe that acceptance of sinfulness is love. It's our act of love. It is not. It is not. Because after commending these people for their operation of ministry, the Lord scolds them for their toleration of false teaching, which led and influenced people to engage in adultery and sexual immorality. And the Lord warns them he's going to punish not only just a false teacher and those following the teaching, but those who tolerated it. He's clear. But yet, we've been taught that refusing to give in to false teaching, false beliefs, and wrong behavior is bigotry. We've been taught today and reminded by societal standards that if you stand on the truth, you're a bigot. No, we're not. You can call me intolerant all you want. I am intolerant towards sin because God is. We've been told that intolerance of sinful beliefs, sinful lifestyles, sinful behaviors is actually intolerance toward the person. It is not. They're two different things. I can accept you, but not your behavior. My goodness, I accepted every single one of my children, and I didn't always accept their behavior. And I corrected it. That's called good parenting. Right? Tolerance toward the person means that we see them as Jesus does. Yes, and he loves them. Yeah, he does. But he's not going to give them a free pass. Jesus sees them as a person that needs to be saved. And if they're doing what they're doing, they're not going to be. He sees that they need to have the process of sanctification started or resumed. That's what he sees. And that they need to be in heaven with him for eternity. That's what he sees. And none of that can take place, my friends, if they're involved in sinful behavior. You understand? Now, did Jesus always love people? Did he always show them love? Yes. But never anywhere in the scripture that I could find, or you if you look at it, did Jesus tolerate sinful beliefs or sinful behaviors? And he isn't going to start right now. Of course, Satan wants us all to believe that love and tolerance means acceptance of sinful beliefs and practices, but it doesn't. Of course, Satan's going to tell you that. In fact, tolerating those things in a person doesn't help them. It actually condemns them. It condemns them. And many of them aren't going to be accepted into heaven. And whose fault is that going to be? Well, yeah, they're at fault. But if you tolerated it and let them believe that it was okay, are you just as responsible? The Bible says you are. The Bible says you are. And who's God going to hold accountable? Clearly, those who thought that love was tolerance towards sinful beliefs and behaviors. That's who's going to be held accountable. In fact, the Bible says, as I read it right, doubly accountable. 
Because aren't all of us kings and priests? Aren't we all ministers in our own right? Yeah. Yes, you are. Which means today that the church ought to stand on God's true principles, not what society's made up. Remember I said that society and culture cannot influence the church? Cannot. It should be the other way. That's what we're set upon the earth to do, influence society. Yeah? Isn't that right? And when people say separation of church and state, let me tell you something. <laughs> the church was here before the state, I assure you. And it's going to be here long after the state, too. And no, Thomas Jefferson didn't say that, not the way that they put it. In fact, Abraham Lincoln lays it right out. But, of course, we're going to think Jefferson said it and put his words into play more than Lincoln's. And yet, who's the most beloved president in our history? You see, you'll, 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 you'll go toward the one that you want to believe. That's what you'll do. Friends, the state should never have say-so over the church and its principles, ever. But the principles of God in the church ought to have influence over the state. Yes or no? Of course, you and I both know we have friends and family members say, no. Well, God says otherwise. Having said that, in our day of corruption and compromise, we the church are going to have to be careful not to tolerate false teaching and immoral living. God is clear that those who tolerate these things are just as guilty as those who practice it. And more than that, we're going to be held accountable. But that means <laughs> that you could lose your salvation? Yeah, that's what it means. That 100% means that. And there are people out there today, worshiping in churches today, that say, you can never lose your salvation. I know they say that. But that's not what the Bible says. And yes, I know all the places where they say it does. That's the difference between a Calvinist and a non-Calvinist. Even Calvin said he couldn't prove it. Pastor Bob, yes or no? So here's the deal, friends. Just like driving in the passing lane, just because you think it's okay if you're going the speed limit, doesn't make it right. Just because anything that you think in life to be true doesn't make it so. Consider these, these passages. 2 Peter 2, 20-22. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness in the first place than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. That means you could lose it. Hebrews 6, 4-6. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, which means you can, okay, to be brought back to repentance. There it is, friends. Bam! Revelation 22, 19. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city. He will blot their name from the scroll. Now, if you can't lose your salvation, what are we talking about here? This is my point, friends. So, see, we use this as a crutch. Now, I don't think it's that easy to lose your salvation. I really don't. But act like it, then. Act like a Christian. Pursue Christianity. Do it right. There's a whole bunch of other things here. But it's clear that it can happen, and I believe that it will for some people. 
The church is going to have to stand on its principles, not the ones we, that they want to believe. Tolerant, yes, but not of sinful beliefs and behaviors. We can't be. And speaking out and standing firm about them does not make us bigots. If it does, then Jesus is a bigot too. Now, how many people would say Jesus was a bigot? There we go. Lastly, we have to maintain our purity in terms of our compromises. Now, are there times when we ought to compromise? Of course there are. Of course there are. But we can never compromise on the things that God doesn't. In fact, Christ acknowledges that there are some things in the church and some people in the church that have not compromised in terms of sanctification and their toleration. And that's good. Clearly, he's saying that compromise on these things is bad. And he was happy with them for not doing it. He commends the church for not obeying or bending to the false teaching, not watering down and compromising on the Christianity he set into place. And he tells them to keep believing what they were believing and keep doing what they were doing. He lets them know that he knows that they're not being swayed toward impure teaching or impure following and impure living. He tells them to keep on keeping on. And yet, we've been taught to compromise on everything. In other words, we're being taught that both sides of every argument must compromise. Yes and no. Again, perhaps some things in there are true. For example, if what I'm being asked to compromise is not of a moral or absolute nature, but more of a personal preference, well, then I think I should probably compromise on that to reach an agreement with somebody. And perhaps I should. But if it clearly has eternal consequences, and this is where you've got you to test the spirits here. If it has eternal consequences, how? Pray tell. Please tell me. How we can compromise on it. Would God? Will he? Has he? No. Because compromising on biblical things, friends, is disastrous. You see, Jesus is telling us that if we're running for him, keep running. If you're witnessing for him, keep witnessing. If you're making disciples, keep making them. Paul tells us three things we absolutely have to do as a Christian. One, be studious on the Word of God. Studious. You didn't like studying in school. You darn sure don't like doing it in church. Yeah? And then sometimes we kind of do. When it's starting to make sense to you, and you're loving the changes it's making, you love to do it. But when you don't like it, all of a sudden you don't understand it. How accurate is that? Right? We have to be studious in the Word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the Word of truth. Friends, you can't correctly handle the Word of truth unless you're in there and know what's in it. You can't guess at this, and that's exactly what we're doing. Oh, the Bible says you can't judge me. That's not what it says, friend. You only read the first part of the scripture. You didn't read the rest of it, did you? Because if you did, you would know that that's not what it says. It says, if you're not pure of heart, then you ought not judge, or you'll be judged in the same manner and way that you judge the other. Because you can't 
pull the speck out of your brother's eye with a plank in yours. However, Jesus says, if you're the person I've called you to be and you are clear before the Lord, you not only have the ability but the authority to judge sinfulness in the life of people. Now, can I judge sin? You darn straight, I can. Can I judge the fruits of the Spirit? Yes, I can. I know what is and what isn't. You know what is and what isn't. The Bible tells you. And not only that, the Spirit. <laughs> Can't discount that. The Spirit proves it. Come on. Do I get to judge if you're going to heaven or not? No. God does. But you're going to tell Him. By your actions, your thoughts, and your words. Whether He has control in here or He doesn't. And you know what? Like we said before, does He know? He knows. We have to be committed, secondly, committed and busy in the work of the Lord. That's the second thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we always giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord? Do you really think we are? Do you think as a church we're fully always giving ourselves to the work of the Lord? Come on. Do you? Now, I don't care about the church down the street. I don't care about the one across town. I want to know what we are. Are we always fully giving ourselves to the work of the Lord? You know we're not. And that, that's a command, isn't it? So that's why I said this morning, let's get busy, because we need to. I know we're all tired. I know. But God's giving you a brand spanking new year. You can sleep next year. <laughs> Friends, no matter how frustrated you become, Working for the Lord and His kingdom is always worth it and it will always have positive results and you know it because He says at the end here, you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. It may seem like it when you're doing it sometimes, but it's not. Thirdly, stand firm in your warfare with God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord in what? His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. A little more on that another time. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And by the way, the day of evil seems to be every day anymore. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, <clears throat> take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And I've had a bunch of them lately. Anybody? And they seem to always seem to find the chink in my armor. Anybody? <laughs> take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Clearly, God is telling us that we're always going to be in a spiritual battle. If we belong to Him, we will. If you belong to Him, you are always in a spiritual battle. And if you think it seems like it's always true, it's because it is. Tell the devil to leave you alone. Do you think he's going to listen? Yeah, if you stop doing, here's the compromise, if you stop doing what God wants you to do, he might, for a little bit. Because he's done with you. He's got you off the, off, off the path. Or he's got you to tolerate something you shouldn't. 
Because God says, if we're going to stand firm, we must never tolerate false beliefs or practices. We must never compromise the truth that God has given. And he reminds us that we've been given the armor and the weapons to do it. Should be enough said, amen? So when we stand for God, it proves, friends, our sanctification, or at least the depth of it. When you stand for God, it proves. So instead of coming up with your own ideals of whether you're sanctified or not, judge it based on whether you're standing for God in the evil days. When you're standing for God, using the weapons given you and the protection given you, now you know whether you're sanctified or not. And if you're not standing, you're not sanctified. If you always give in and tolerate garbage and compromise on things you know you shouldn't, friends, they're not sanctified. You might be on the path still. How long is up to God? Then if you know you've kind of veered off the path, get back on it. If you've never started it, start today. And start moving toward the place to go. Because God wants you to. And you know where that leads. If we stand firm, God will see to it that we are rewarded properly. And you're ready for this? James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you're not on the path of God, you don't really love him. You say you do. You'll tell people you do. You even like to think that you do. But you, want to, you know what love is? Obedience. Obedience. Jesus proved that in the story of the prodigal. And Jesus tells us through the Apostle John in 1 John, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Every one of them. And the flip side of that is, if you're not obeying my commands, do you love me? Why did he ask Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter got indignant and said, well, you know I do. And Jesus was like, no, I don't. That's what I'm asking. I want you to understand what love is, friend. Because you think love is follow me sometimes. You think loving me is feeding my sheep sometimes. You think it's Living the Christian life, sometimes it isn't. Loving me means that you're about my business all the time. You never tolerate wrong teaching. You never compromise my truth. And you stand all the time for me. And it shows. That's what he's saying. Friends, we are saved for service. That's the reason God saved us. We are saved to work for His ministry. We are rescued to be His representatives. And we are delivered from eternal death to be a disciple and to build more disciples for Him. That is what we're saved for. That's what we're here for. And we're going to have to maintain our purity because purity in all things impacts our service for Christ, which affects the kingdom as well as our own individual eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.